0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. It's a joy to be with you here this morning, making our way through the book of Philippians. Isn't Philippians exciting? Um, what, a, what a timely word for the sort of situations we find ourselves living in. Um, this morning, as we read Philippians, we are going to do some time travelling. Doesn't that sound exciting? Some time travelling. Um, Maybe some of you will be able to relate to me. I have a a personality trait, I suppose you could call it, some might call it a flaw, I know the people I work with do, Uh, which is that my long-term memory is better than my short-term memory. My long-term memory is better than my short-term memory. What I mean by that is when it comes to learning important things or structuring life, no problems whatsoever, paying attention and remembering everything which is important. Um, But in the present tense, I am constantly lost. Kind of like a goldfish, I usually do not know why I have entered any given room. Uh, can, anyone, can anyone relate to this, this personality trait? Right? Sometimes this, for me, results in pleasant surprises um, as I interact with past Matt. He, he, sometimes he can be a great guy. Um, I, I once organized a combined churches training event. There was about three or four churches involved, and we were hosting this at our church. And on the day, as people were arriving, I was in a state of panic because... I hadn't organized anything. There was, there was, I hadn't organized any food. I hadn't any, organized anyone to do the worship. And people had started rocking up. And I just thought, I, I thought I'd have more time to get things ready. And I didn't have time to get things ready. And then, this is on a Saturday morning, other churches are coming. And then some people rock up with instruments. A miracle takes place. And another group of people, volunteers from our church, rock up and start making coffees for everyone. And I just think, how on earth did they know to come and to do these things? And it turns out that the past Matt had organized them to do this. And I had no... No recollection that these conversations had ever taken place. And on that day, um, I wanted to find Pastor Matt. I wanted to congratulate him and say, Pastor Matt, thank you for, for treating me so well. And it's important that we praise him what he gets right, because he usually makes my life a living hell. <laughs> Today, in God's Word, we're going to be considering our salvation and how it plays out over time, over time. Um, we're going to hear a call, not just to give our initial belief to Jesus, but we're going to hear a call to, to continue, to persevere in the direction in which we first began until it reaches its, its culmination. This, this word from God is designed to aid us in, in finding fuel for joyful perseverance. And if, like me, you could use some of that at the moment... Uh, we have cause to be excited. So let me pray really quickly and we'll get to reading Philippians chapter 3. Yeah, our Father, we are short-sighted creatures by our nature. Uh, we, we do not know the fullness of the riches that you intend to share with your saints yet. Uh, we look forward to growing in our understanding and in our experiencing of your wonderful redemption plan, which you have won for us in Jesus. And we pray that now, as we come to your Word, would you illuminate this text by your Spirit. Lord, would you make our hearts come alive and turn from dust to flesh. Lord, would you have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's have a read. Philippians 3, we're going to be in from verses 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. You'll remember last week, the the previous passage, I believe was last week, um, where Paul has said that he has counted all things as lost in order to gain Christ. Counted all things as lost in order to gain Christ and be found in Him, that He may by any means obtain the resurrection from the dead. Now in verse 12 we read, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about what it means to be rescued from our sin and to come to be reconciled to God and to belong to Him. How is it that God's rescue plan is going to play out across the course of a human life? So let me ask you a question, and there's there's no need to to shout out the answers because I'm being tricky and I don't want to embarrass anyone. The question is, when it comes to salvation for us who, who are Christians, which of these sentences is true? Is it that we as Christians have been saved in the past and are now saved? Or is it that we as Christians are being saved in a present and continuous way? Or is it that we as Christians are looking forward to the arrival of our salvation at some point in time in the future? Is our salvation in the past? Is it happening in the present? Or is it in the future? Of course it's a trick question, the answer is yes, yes. Yes, of course, all three of those are true. And it's really important that we understand all three senses of God's beautiful redemption plan for us. These aren't three separate truths. These are the three facets of the one salvation plan that the God who knows all things has ordained for us. Um, It's important that we understand all these things because there's, there's strength and encouragement and joy to be found in each part of this story that God has for His children. And beautifully, across the course of Philippians chapter 3, we see all of them talking to each other, the really important balance of the Christian faith. Between last week's passage, which we'll we'll briefly touch on, and, and what we've just read, we see all three tenses of salvation, which is great, because they're all really important. And the goal is that we wouldn't play them against one another but rather see the need to embrace them all and let them give strength to one another as we live for Jesus. The simple truth is that if we were to neglect any one of these truths, any one of these tenses of salvation, we are in danger of breaking the whole thing and making a train wreck of our lives. These are all mission critical for us to understand. Not one of them is optional. So why don't we consider them one at a time? That's what we'll spend most of our time doing today. Think with me what happens if we miss out on understanding any part of this balance. Salvation, past tense, let's consider that. I have been saved, says the Christian. I have been saved. This is what, you will, uh, this is what last week would have been about, so I'll, I'll go quicker here. But there is a mistake which we could make, and which is to, to try and live a life pleasing to God without being converted, without that past tense salvation event having taken place. There are people who live like this. Without being born again, without being saved, without being regenerate, why don't I just live a God-honoring life in the present? To be a Christian, there has to come a point of decision. As, 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 a, as a species, the, the human race has been born into sin... Sin has mastery over us and we need to be rescued from slavery to sin and be set free if we are to live lives which are pleasing to God. And so, to be a Christian, there there comes a moment where, whether you were aware of it happening or not, uh, you chose to lose all things and to gain Christ. You made the decision. There There was a moment in your life where you turned from your idols and you placed your faith in Jesus as your saviour, and in doing so, you were saved. That's the beginning of the Christian life. Perhaps there's some of you here today who have yet to do this in your own lives, and this is the call and the invitation of Jesus to you to come and experience the blessings of God by placing your faith in Jesus, the saviour. What God has promised to do to any one of us who makes that decision is in that moment to send His Holy Spirit to live in you, to take you from being spiritually dead and bring you to being spiritually alive. This is the moment when you were past, complete, you were born again. From that point forwards, from the moment of your new spiritual birth, you are forgiven, you are accepted, You are adopted, you are included, you are reconciled, you are washed, and you have been made new. That supernatural reality, which has now come into being at some point in the past for the Christian, is what enables all of the rest of the Christian life to exist, and without that beginning, you can't continue. Without faith, we are told... It is impossible to please God. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you have no option but to be walking in the flesh. Jesus told us in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. If you were to forego entering as the beginning if you were to forgo this this past tense of salvation and try to live a life pleasing to God in the present, what you would get would not be Christianity. Instead, you will try and please God by the the power of your own discipline, perhaps, by your own self-righteousness, and how much of the Bible has been written to tell us that that cannot work. The person who tries to live a life pleasing to God without receiving the mercy of God will end up as a mere moralist with a list of rules to keep, as a legalist. The simple truth is that I, like you, am incapable of fighting my flesh through the power of rules. Good advice cannot rescue me from my sinful nature kind actions, cannot cancel out my sinful actions. This is why there is no other religion which can save you. This is why politics will never be the ultimate solution to the problem of human nature. Governments exist in the wisdom of God as a band-aid fix, waiting for a deeper solution to a deeper problem. They are a band-aid but Jesus is the cure, and Jesus alone. There has to come a moment where you obtain him. And in that moment of decision, you have been saved. You have been saved. Anyone who is a Christian, this happened to you in the past. Anyone who is yet to become a Christian, today can be the day that you can go to Jesus and begin. It's the past tense of salvation in our lives. Now, in today's passage, what we see is the the next tense of salvation emphasized. We see it in the first half of our passage, which is verses 12 to 16, that there is a present tense to our salvation. Verses 12 to 16 tell us, not that I have already obtained this, and just... Isn't that just bonkers? Doesn't that just sound utterly contradictory to everything else that you've heard before today? Haven't we just been told that I do have Jesus, that I am certain of my salvation, that I have obtained the kingdom of God, and yet here is Paul seconds later saying, not that I have already obtained this, and so our ears prick up. What on earth is he all about? Or that I'm already perfect. Ah, is that what he's getting at? But I I press on to make it my own because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. As Christians, as Christians, we have been saved. And it is also true that as Christians, we are being saved. That the, the saving work of Jesus, the antidote to the problem of my sin, which I have obtained in the past, is now, in the present tense, doing work which is actively continuing to rescue me. The next mistake we could make in the Christian life is, would be one of neglecting the present and ongoing sense of our salvation. This can take two forms that I can think of. One would be for us to place all of the emphasis of our understanding of what it means to be saved into the past to the exclusion of the present. Put all of our understanding in the past to the exclusion of the present. This has played out in recent history. In the context of ministering the gospel to nice moral deists who were unconverted in a time when everyone in kind of culture sort of just assumed they were Christian, you know, your grandparents sort of age. Some evangelists started to emphasize conversion by the practice of, of leading people through the sinner's prayer as the way to become a Christian. If you want to respond to Jesus, pray this prayer with me and you are saved. This is the, sort of the Billy Graham style of evangelism. Many, many people truly met Jesus through the ministry of people like Billy Graham. We should be grateful for them. And yet it is also true that over time, what what these evangelists noticed was that there was a staggering rate of dropout amongst those who had professed to have become Christians through this method. They failed to follow through on the commitment of that prayer. Worse again, in some places this method of ministry was oversimplified and degraded until people, became, uh, people came to believe that if at one point in your life you said the magic words, your soul was safe, regardless of what your life looked like in the present. Can you understand what this looks like? or Have you, have you encountered this? It's still around. I said the prayer, I have my ticket to heaven... And no matter what else I do with my life, no matter how I live, no matter what I believe, my outcome is certain, faith came to be about mere decisionism. The people who believe this are mistaken. Our conversion, our salvation, is about more than reciting a magic poem. That's not the point of that prayer. That prayer only has significance if it is also sincere and its sincerity will be seen in a person actually surrendering to Jesus as their new Lord. This is what the Christian does. If the profession of faith is sincere, the transforming, walk, sorry, the transforming work of the Spirit will be effective And a person will come to live a transformed life. Imagine if we tried to do any other relationship in that way, just to think about how absurd this is. Let's take marriage for an example. Marriage, that today was a wedding day. And and, and standing here before you was a bride and a groom. They say their vows. They put on their rings. We all leave. um, They kiss. We eat. And then from that event onwards, they are married, past tense. But imagine the groom saying to the bride on his wedding day after dinner, well, that's that then. Glad that's over. Good luck. I'll see you at the cemetery. (laughs) And he walks out of the room, never to grace her with his company ever again. That is the travesty of a person who claims to be a Christian, but ignores God with their life. Likewise, another mistake we might make is to put uh, all, all the emphasis of our salvation into the future and to live in such a way as to be disconnected from our life in this world. It's less common around here, but it does exist. This is, this is what leads people into joining doomsday cults. We, we actually had someone come through our church who'd just escaped from one in the last two years. You know, the, the people who go off and uh, hide in the hills in the bunker waiting for the end to come, which in my personal opinion, sounds like the most fun form of heresy. <laughs> like you get to go camping all the time Downsides, you have to marry your cousins. So flip a coin. Actually, my wife's cousin is here today, so that's, that's ultra weird. I have a rule of thumb, if you would like to, just, just as a side note, by the way, if you'd like to avoid joining a doomsday cult, there's a little simple rule of thumb that you can follow. If, if your church ever refers to any part of its property as a compound, things, things have gone horrifically wrong. There's, there's no right way to use that word. No, being saved is not meant to remove us from the world. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not meant to pull us out into the hills while we wait for the end to come. Jesus, praying for you and I on the very night when he was arrested and taken to be crucified for us, said this to his disciples, sorry, over his disciples in prayer to the Father. John 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus' plan for you is not to to pull you out of this world by saving you, but is to have your salvation be active in the present in such a way that you can live in this fallen, corrupted world and stay engaged with it and continue to love it and to continue to to, to join him in his mission to see redemption in this world without being corrupted by it, without being corrupted by it. Salvation has a past tense, but it also has a present tense. This is how the Apostle Paul described his own life as a Christian in our passage today, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Can you feel the balance? Christ has made me his own there's no doubt there the present tense of salvation doesn't contradict that it has happened already christ jesus has made me his own and if you have placed your faith in him as savior he has made you his own isn't that good news but on the basis of that we what press on press on to obtain the rest Paul is saved, and yet he knows that he has still to obtain some parts of what that salvation means, and so he's living in such a way as to move towards the goal, which he desires very greatly, the goal of the upward call of God. This is a call, this is a call to spiritual perseverance, to spiritual perseverance, And unless uh, uh, unless you're sitting there thinking that there's some chance that we may eventually outgrow our need to keep growing, Paul tells us, actually, it's the mature among us who think this way. The mature among us think this way. How do the mature think? They think, I don't have it all yet. There's more to come. I want it. Jesus, give it to me. The Christian has been saved, but the Christian is also being saved. Brothers and sisters, we are presently being delivered. Did you know this? We we, we are right this very second being delivered from death to life by our Jesus. Isn't that good news? What does that deliverance look like? What it looks like is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal. Salvation begins... when we we place our faith in Jesus as Saviour and Lord and our salvation continues as we press on, as we strain forward towards Jesus in continued faith and continued repentance through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And this is where it gets really punchy for us today. All of this becomes very practical when you think about the last three years that we've all just lived through. Let's just think for a moment what that was like. I know that, I know that everyone had a different experience of it. And those of you living outside of Brisbane, I think you had it better than us in Brisbane. But th- there's a general vibe around where I live. It doesn't matter who you talk to. And it's that people are tired and discouraged. Have, have you had that around here? People are flat. They're just over it. There is a general pessimism and fatigue, which has become the norm People just feel a bit meh at the moment, by and large. And as churches, we've felt this too, haven't we? How much more difficult than usual has hopeful forward planning become? It it has felt it has felt that little bit harder to do. And like we're all just existing in survival mode at a basic human level, we look at a trial like that, one that is unlike anything we have ever experienced before in our lives. And we think, this has broken all the plans. This has ruined everything. All those hopes, all those dreams, yeah, no, they didn't they didn't come to fruition. No one no one was was walking around in 2015 and, and filling out that form in the job interview. Where do you think you're gonna be in five years? No one answered. At home in my underpants on a Zoom call, right? Like that's that's just not no one got it right. And so there's a, a human a human perspective which could say this is disruption. It's 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 when all of this is over, I can finally start to live again. But in the meantime, I'm just, I'm just hanging on, I'm just hanging on. Oh, but as Christians, we have more hope than that. We have more hope than that. We do not have to wait for this to be over before we can get some rest, and before we can have normal back. To the mature, and to the maturing Christian, that's not what has been happening for these last three years. No, what we've been living through is the normal context in which God grows his children to be like Jesus. This is how it has ever been and ever will be until he returns. What hardship reveals to us and in us is all the ways in which we have yet to lay hold of what is already ours. That's what's happened. And this discovery, painful though it may be, is what makes it possible for us to grow by the grace of Jesus. All the ways in which I'm slow to trust him to provide. All the unnecessary distress. All the, all the idols, they showed themselves to be idols because when they, were t- when they were taken away from me, I got angry at God. All the ways in which I am yet to grow into the fullness of the salvation that Jesus has won for me in such a costly way. And now by the power of his spirit who I have by virtue of my past salvation. Today I am being transformed Remember again, that these words were written from prison. Can you imagine if Paul was sitting there in the, I assume it was a jail cell in in, in Philippi, I don't know what jails in Philippi are like, I can imagine less nice than my house. Wallowing, oh there's no point, it's all like, I, I was going to plant a church and now I'm in prison, it's all over, when I get out of prison then I can start living for Jesus again how much poorer we would all be. The grace, the grace that comes through Jesus brings into our present circumstances the hope that we are being redeemed. Now, through this, during this, not in spite of this, through this, God's mercy, His salvation, is now. There is a strength to be found here that we as Christians have access to that those who are yet to believe simply can't have. It's still on track. The plan is still working. We haven't lost. God has not failed. He is still on His throne. He still loves you. Isn't that good news? The present difficulty has not prevented us from attaining the goal. This difficulty is the road directly to the goal. I, I need, I need my faith in God to have that kind of redeeming purpose in suffering. What other hope do we have? So brothers and, Jesus, uh, brothers and sisters, today, choose to press in. Choose to press in. Choose to strain forwards. Choose continued faith. Choose to keep walking in the direction you began in. Don't give up. If the last three years have resulted in you being distracted or discouraged, look up. See what he is doing now. What a wonderful work Now God is working. Today is a good day to press on into Jesus and to receive his mercies which are new every day. He has mercy for you today. That is the hope of the saved ones. We are being saved. We could stop there, couldn't we? We we'll got some more. This leads us to the last tense of salvation. As Christians, we know that we have been saved we know that we are being saved and we look forward to a time when we will be saved. There's a future tense. We see this in the back end of our passage, verses 17 onwards. Brothers, join in imitating me, says Paul, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Doesn't it seem unthinkable that anyone would try to live the life of faith and deny that there's going to be a resurrection? (laughs) It sort of boggles the mind, doesn't it? And yet, in history, people have done this very thing to the extent where there's teaching on it in the, in the New Testament. The New Testament says if we have hope in this life only, we are to be more pitied than any other kind of human Christians. We're losers if the resurrection isn't real. Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we have been deceived and we are still in our sins. I don't think there's too many of us making that mistake today. But there is a mistake that we do make. Which is to simply de-emphasize our eternal future to the point where we give it no attention. To the point where we give it no attention. Studying what they call eschatology, all the theology about the end times, is really confusing and nobody agrees with anyone. So surely it's easier just to put that in the bin and go, unimportant, and be done with it. It's not true. If I make my faith about this life only, that's like walking through life blind. It's like walking through life blind. Our future hope is meant to give hope and shape to our present lives. If we are going to press on towards the goal, we need to know what the goal is. and that is the goal. And if we are to live uh, in light of eternity now, that is going to equip us to live well in the present and to prioritize the things which really matter. And the way that which uh, that is described in our passage today is in the contrast between two kinds of people. Paul says, "Join me as I imitate Christ." And be warned about those others who don't imitate Christ. So those are your two options placed side by side. Actually, there's a number of times the Bible gives us this good advice. I don't even think that you need to be a Christian to think that this is good advice in general. You could say it's proverbial wisdom. This is the wisdom. If you want to know whether you should go to a specific person for advice or not, look at the outcome of their views in their own life. If you want to know whether or not you should go to someone for advice, look at the outcome of their views in their own life. That is excellent advice, isn't it? So I have a question. Who should I ask for marriage advice? And the answer is someone with a healthy marriage. Some of you will ask. Does that mean that I should not ask my friend Jenny from HR for marriage advice? Whilst she is just about to finish her third marriage, She's really supportive of me and just kind of gets me, you know? <laughs> Correct. Do not go to Jenny from HR for marriage advice. <laughs> Here in our passage, we have two kinds of people placed side by side for our, for our consideration, and the relevance of both is that their current spiritual state is going to lead to their future spiritual destination. Let's consider them both. On, on team one, in the red corner, we have the good example personified by... The Apostle Paul himself, the the Apostle to the Gentiles. On the other side, we have the bad example. It's just called some, and so we can name them, and we will go with Jenny. (laughs) Let's consider Paul. Paul has Jesus as his God. And as a result, Paul lives a life of hardship in the present. He lives a life of sacrifice and of service, all in order to follow Jesus. And because he follows Jesus, he has suffered the loss of all things. On Team Blue, Jenny, what does her life look like in the present? Jenny's God is her belly. That doesn't just mean food, it may the ancients that the belly was the seat of emotion. Jenny is living to fulfill her basic desires. Whatever she wants, she pursues. She lives her whole life trying to fulfill her desires and the awkward truth is that sometimes, just sometimes, she gets them. Jenny is living her best life. Her mind is set on earthly things. And now if we stop the comparison here, which life seems better? Surely it's Jenny. The short-sighted think that Jenny's life is the better life. Paul is missing out. Paul is enduring hardship. Paul is living selflessly and is yet to reap the reward of that life. And over here, she's getting everything she wants, or at least some of it. She can live for herself. Oh, but brothers and sisters, when we look ahead is when we see that the decisions of the present shine in a different light. Paul has counted all things as rubbish, as a means to an end. The reason he has been so willing, in his own words, glad, To suffer the loss of all things is because by doing so, he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, but that which comes by faith in God. That is his goal. Jenny is indulging herself now, but is walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Never a scarier phrase has been written. Not only does that mean that she is failing to benefit from God in the present tense, it means that her whole life is an act of rebellion, not just against God, but against the cross, the vehicle by which grace is offered to us. She's, she is rejecting the one thing which can save As a result of these different lives, Paul's joy is incorruptible and being preserved for him. He wants to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection and to obtain the resurrection from the dead, which lasts forever. He is seeking an eternal reward. Paul's joy is incorruptible. Jenny's glory is her shame. Her favourite thing about her should and eventually will make her ashamed as she stands before the God of heaven. Paul's citizenship is in heaven. That's where he belongs. It is his true home. His saviour is coming here from there to rescue him. This is his certainty. And when that saviour arrives, he has promised that he is going to transform Paul's lowly body until it is like the glorious resurrected body of Jesus. And he's going to do that by the same power which enables our God to put all things into subjection below himself. Jenny's end is destruction. Destruction. Simply said. And suddenly, in this frame of mind, we see that Jenny's life is not better than Paul's life. Paul is living the way he is living today because he has eternity in his sights. And he calls us, join in imitating me. Live for that day. I know that's a lot. But brothers and sisters... It is when we bring these three understandings of the salvation which comes through Jesus together that our lives find their proper glorious balance. If you are a Christian today, know these things. You've been saved. You are being saved. And you will be saved. And in light of those things, what changes today? What changes today? How does that change the plan? How does that change the priorities? How does that change your experience of the present trial? Can you see that this is your road to joy? Joy unshakable. And so come, come to Jesus. Come and lose everything in Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others